Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real. It's again a podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow, uh, where we try to become the best versions of ourselves as we can as we continue to serve our Lord. Today, we have two special guests, and I'll let them introduce themselves to you guys in just a moment. But before we get to that, again, you can listen to the podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can watch the video portion there. Just look up When the Scriptures Become Real. Subscribe. You can talk to me. Uh, you know, ask questions through that avenue. Also, we're on every major um, podcast site as well, Spotify, Breaker, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find your podcast, When the Scriptures Become Real is there. Uh, you can subscribe on your favorite platform there as well. Uh, and again, if you have questions on that platform, uh, you, can, you can ask those questions. My social media from Instagram to Facebook um, and LinkedIn are all posted on there as well. So again, like we mentioned before, we have two special guests. I'll start with a familiar face. We'll go with Drew, and then we'll go down to Chase, and you guys can introduce yourselves. All right. Uh, Jordan, appreciate you having me on today. I always uh, look forward to being able to work together with you. Uh, my name is Drew Suttles. I'm originally from Adairsville, Georgia, which is about 60 miles north of Atlanta, 60 miles south of Chattanooga, so top left corner of the state. Uh, I'm currently in south Georgia, around the Valdosta area. I'm in Quitman, Georgia. Been here since October of last year. I'm a 2018 graduate of Memphis School of Preaching. Prior to that, a 2014 graduate of Freed Hardman University, where I played baseball. I met my wife there, Brittany. Uh, November the 8th of this year will be six years of marriage. And with that, we have four children, uh, Jackson, Henley, Palmer, and McKenna. So full house in my house right now. Uh, but the Lord has uh, truly been mindful of me. He's blessed me abundantly. I'm very, very grateful for uh, just all the blessings he's bestowed upon me and thankful for this opportunity to uh, do this podcast episode with you guys. And then Chase. What's up, guys? I'm Chase Green. This is my first time on the show, so I appreciate you, Jordan, for inviting me. And I am uh, a podcast host as well, the Everyday Christian Podcast. You can find us on uh, Apple, Podbean, Spotify, I think a couple others. Um, also, I am from Louisiana. Originally, West Monroe, Monroe area, which is the northeastern part of the state. Uh, pray for that area, if you will. Uh, they got hit pretty hard by that hurricane, Hurricane Laura. That hurricane was a Category 1 all the way up into Arkansas. And so normally, those, those storms are a tropical storm or depression by the time they hit north Louisiana. Yeah. So for it to still be Category 1 in southern Arkansas was just crazy. But uh, so keep that area in your prayers please. And I, I live in Oklahoma now. We just started a new work with uh, the Marietta Church of Christ in uh, South Oklahoma, in, in Marietta, Oklahoma, which is about halfway in between Dallas and Oklahoma City. So we're only about an hour and a half from Dallas and an hour and a half from Oklahoma City, which is really nice. I'm a 2017 graduate of the Memphis School of Preaching as well, so I graduated in Jordan's class and got to spend some time with uh, Drew and his class as well as they were the class after us. So yep. I really enjoy being a preacher and um, just am excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah, glad to have both of you guys on. I know Chase and I, like you mentioned, we did graduate together um, in 2017, and then Drew was the class right behind us, so we got a lot of time uh, to spend with each other there at the School of Preaching, so Again, if you are a young man, uh, you know, wanting to uh, increase your knowledge, wanting to, uh, you know, preach the gospel, or even just to go just to get to knowledge, um, the Memphis School of Preaching is a great avenue to do that. 
And then also, you know, these guys, when you get through, they become, we're brothers in Christ, but they do become your brothers too. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing that we'll always have together that we went through that school together and um, that we are, uh, you know, brothers in arms as we continue to, to preach the gospel. Amen. And we're tight knit too. That's right. We are tight knit. <laughs> we were a tight knit class, especially with Drew's class too. So it's kind of rare to oh, see yeah. Yeah. your class. And we were also tight knit with the class before us or under us. Right. So yep. we're, we're, we're really glad that, um, that we can keep connected with one another as we teach. For sure. And so today what we want to talk about is kind of a continuation of the podcast we did, I think two weeks ago um, uh, with Caleb. And we, we talked about how to deal with, and Lima, uh, we talked with uh, how to deal with difficult people or difficult brethren. And so we kind of talked about, you know, Jacob and Esau, the problems that they had. You know, we talked about uh, the problems in, in Corinth that Paul had to mention with those brethren fighting with one another, you know, taking each other to court. And then how can we reconcile those situations? But what we want to do in this podcast is kind of continue that just a little bit. But this is kind of the theme that we want to take with this podcast. The, we ended last week with saying reconciliation is possible. So whenever there's a, there's a, uh, there's a dispute among brethren, whether it's, uh, you know, one-on-one, whether it's a, a big fight, there can always be reconciliation. And so we want to look at these options. What if you have done everything possible to do the best that you can to reconcile, but the other party still doesn't reconcile or what if you've done everything that the Lord wanted you to do in order to bring that brother back and that brother still doesn't want to come back? What do you do? How do you respond? And so this is why we're entitling this, How to Deal with Difficult People Slash Difficult Situations. Now, before we start, we want to we say we're not pointing the finger, right? Because we're not saying, well, you guys are all difficult and we're not difficult. <laughs> you know, we always got to point the finger to ourselves too. We have been difficult as well. We haven't done things the right way as well. So we understand that. And we want our listeners to understand that. But what we want to do is we want to go through some examples and see how men and women in scripture dealt with really difficult situations and how they were able to either reconcile or make sure that that relationship was well. And so let's start with uh, number one here. Guys, on our list, we have David and Saul. And so I'll start with, with Drew here. What do you have when you think about the relationship between David and Saul? Well, you've got two kings. Uh, right off the bat, first thing that jumps out to you, you think about, you know, the kingdom there of Israel and Saul being the first king, and then, of course, David coming after him. But we we have 10 chapters really devoted to Saul and David, 1 Samuel 16 through 26. And we find first in 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23, about uh, Saul having a distressing spirit, and only David could calm him. And that's kind of interesting It's hmm. as you introduce these two individuals you have someone who's who's having some trouble, and David is able to come and to calm him down. Well, two chapters later in chapter 18, of course, after the uh, very famous account of David killing Goliath, jealousy kicked in for Saul. You know, the women are saying, Saul killed thousands, but here's David with his ten thousands. And so Saul didn't like that too much. In verse 12 of chapter 18, it says the Lord departed from Saul. But in verse 14, it said the Lord was with David. Mm. In verse 29, it says that Saul became David's enemy continually. You come to First Samuel 19, now it says that Saul wants David dead. So <laughs> lots happened uh, in three chapters of reading here. You know, at first you have David coming and calming Saul. Then you have David 
uh, this, this great victory, and everybody loves him. And now Saul wants him dead. So you have David fleeing from Saul. And then very quickly, uh, chapters 23 through 26, we find that Saul sought David every day. So David's literally running for his life every day. And if you spend any time in the Psalms, you can kind of get an idea of what David was going through. And then we find in chapters 24 and 26 that David spares the life of Saul not once but twice. So there is a lot that takes place in those 10 chapters. And so as you, as you go through what has been revealed in Scripture, you see that David most definitely had to deal with a difficult person uh, named Saul. <laughs> and, and you think about this, Drew. What evil did David ever do to Saul? If you really think about it, David yeah. really helped him. I mean, who else wanted Absolutely to fight Goliath? Who else wanted right. to fight Goliath? Nobody. You know, right. who, who else killed ten, tens of thousands of Philistines when everyone else was afraid of the nation? David led the right. charge. You know, who sure brought, did. you know, massive protection to the entire nation when he was supposed to do that? David. So David's done nothing but help him and help his family as well. And right. so I'm, I'm going to bring the question to you, Chase. What do you think when you think about the relationship between David and Saul? Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to piggyback on what y'all have already said. And uh, great minds think alike. Because I've really thought a lot of, of along the similar lines that Drew especially mentioned. Um, the first thing that I kind of think of when I think of these two kings, Saul first and, and then later David, is I wonder if David had any insecurities about how, how well received Saul was at first. You think about it, and I know we may laugh at that, but in 1 Samuel 9 verse 2, it says that Saul was the most handsome person in all of Israel. From his shoulders and upward, he was taller than all the rest of the people. Now, you remember, David wasn't the biggest guy in the world. And he's this kid, I think, what, 15, 16, 17 years old, facing Goliath. <laughs> and he's described in 1 Samuel 16, verse 12, as ruddy. What does that mean? Redheaded. And everybody knows we like to make fun of genders. So, <laughs> so you, you wonder, I wonder if he ever had any insecurities looking at this buff, tall guy, handsome guy, Saul, and all the people are looking to him for leadership. And yet God is selecting David to be the replacement. I know certainly people like Moses had some insecurities when, when God had selected Moses for, for the, the leadership position that he was going to receive to lead the people out of Egypt. So I have to wonder if maybe David felt a little bit like that. And you also think about how uh, when Samuel went to go select David, because David was who God wanted. He was a man after God's own heart. But you remember what happened? He goes to Jesse, the father, and he goes down the line. <laughs> this has got to be who you want, right? And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Nope, not him. Okay, well, this one. It's got to be this one. Nope. Well, this one, no. And he goes all the way down the line, and the very last one that he thought God wanted was David. I think that going all the way back to that dynamic, it must have been kind of a rocky start. And yet, still, David had a great attitude. Even if maybe some of those insecurities might have been there, he sure didn't show it by the was, way that he. No, keep going. Yeah, you're good. 
Yeah. I inspected Saul, and, and like uh, like Drew said, this dude threw javelins at him <laughs> twice. And at one point, he said, I will pin you to the wall in First uh, Samuel verse 11. Yeah. I mean, Saul was a mean dude, apparently, and, and crazy. But David still respected him because he was still the rightful king at that point. Even though God's spirit had left him, he still was the Lord's anointed. And when David had a couple of opportunities to kill Saul, he didn't do it because he said, I will not put forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. So that shows you what kind of person David was. That's why he was a man after God's own heart, because even after being completely just mistreated by Saul, mercilessly, he still respected him as king, and he essentially waited his turn. And when the time was right, God made him king. And let's go off what you just said, Chase, when you said Saul treated him evil, you know, unmercilessly, right? Think about this. Here's the first attitude that I think we can learn from David. When you deal with difficult people in difficult situations, the first attitude that we all need to have is we need to behave ourselves wisely. Now, let's go back to the text here. So you mentioned all these, Drew, but specifically mm-hmm. go, to, go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And again, if you, you guys are listening with us, bring your tablets out, bring your Bibles out and follow along with us um, so you can look at, look at the text and see what the Lord has to say. So if you look at 1 Samuel 18, again, you'd notice that verse number 12, which Drew mentioned before that Saul was afraid of David, right? Because the Lord was with him and the spirit was departed from Saul. So verse 13, therefore Saul removed him from him and made him a captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Now watch verse 14. And David behaved himself how? Wisely in all of his ways. And the Lord was with him. Then jump to 1 Samuel 18 verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. And the text says again, and behaved himself wisely. Then if you jump to verse number uh, verse number 30 of the same chapter. And when the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth, that David did what again? Behaved himself. So it says it three times in the same chapter. So every time that Saul had a certain attitude, or Saul felt a certain way, or Saul wanted to do something to, to David, what did David do? <laughs> behaved himself wisely now if we make some application for us if if drew did like me for some reason just because drew doesn't like me doesn't mean that i have to act a fool and not like drew i have the obligation to behave myself wisely as a christian and so we have to we have to keep this in mind because some people even christian people we think well if they act this way towards me this gives me an out or this gives me a scapegoat to do what I want to do or say what I want to say because they're acting ugly towards me. No, we have a responsibility as well. And David was right here. The first attitude, they behaved himself wisely. Drew, you have anything? Yeah. In fact, I've got four lessons of application that kind of jumped out thinking about this. And you mentioned one of them with, uh, with wisdom and applying it. The first one is sometimes it's better to take the high road and get out of there. Yeah. It's it's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of wisdom to leave when the situation gets hot. Uh, I thought about this with that personal application today. Think about social media. 
to post or not to post, to respond or not to respond, that is the question. You know, First Timothy 6.12 says fight the good fight of faith. It doesn't say fight every fight. That's right. Uh, we might get invited to a lot of fights. You don't have to step up and fight it. If it's not a good fight, don't do it. If mm-hmm. it's not going to do something good, don't do not do it. So, you know, David could have said, I'm going to stand my ground. He's not going to do this to me. But, yeah. but he didn't. He, he left because that was what the wise thing, you know, was to do. Uh, a second thought that I had was, though you may have the ability and opportunity to do someone harm, doesn't mean you should. David had the ability, as Chase mentioned, two times to kill him, but he didn't. And that had a, a, a big impact on Saul. I think about Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man movie. <laughs> uh, you remember he goes to the wrestling event, and it was promised all that money, you know? Yeah. And he went back, and they didn't give it to him, and he's like, I missed the part where that's my problem. Well, then the guy comes in and robs him. Spider-Man lets him go. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I missed the part that's my problem. So, to him, to have the last word was, was I'm going to show him. I'm going to have the last – well, then his uncle died after that. And that example kind of come to my mind. He could have, he could have, you know, he could have made it right. So I may have the ability to show someone up, but what good does that do? Mm-hmm. Uh, a third lesson is you can make a positive impact and call someone to change by doing the right thing, even in a difficult situation. And that's First Samuel twenty four sixteen through twenty, and we read here about uh, David sparing Saul. That's one of those times. But I thought it was interesting some of the language that's found. It says, so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. There's a lesson right there for us. You've shown this day how you've dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. If a man finds his enemy, we let him get away safely. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done for me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and your kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So that made a very positive Mm. impact on Saul about David doing the right thing. And then the final thing that that jumps out to me as we think about this, this episode, if you will, between David and Saul is that sometimes a difficult person will see the error of their ways. If you stay the course and keep doing the right thing. Mm. And that's first Samuel 26, 21 and 22. It says, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. <laughs> and so he realized, you know what? I've been doing the wrong thing this whole time. But if David would have responded in a different way, he might not have seen the error of his ways. And so the practical application for us is we might deal with a difficult person, but let's take the high road. Let's, let's be wise like David was. And they may be able to, to make the changes they need to make. Oh, that's Drew, you know, that's a whole sermon right there. Those those four applications. Amen. Isn't that a that's why you see Chase and I were real quiet writing this down, right? <laughs> <laughs> Chase, you have anything? It's all there, man. It's <laughs> application. It's hard to add to that, but um <laughs> I would just say I would just say what Jesus says regarding our enemies. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love, love them. That's right. Our enemies. We are supposed to pray for our enemies. Paul said in Romans 12, verse 20, if our enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, you'll, re- you'll uh, heap coals of fire upon his head. What did he mean by that? Well, I think you've got two options. Number one, if you treat your enemy right, you might just win them over because they see that good example that you yeah. gave them, just kind of like 
like Saul was kind of one over there a little bit. Um, or the other option is it's going to heap coals of fire upon their head and they're going to hate you even more. But that's on them. That's not you. You did what you were supposed yeah. to do. Let God then handle that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus says the Lord. Yeah, and here's, here's two things I want to mention before we go on. Um, I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 37, especially when you, when you talk about these attitudes of David. One thing about, like you just mentioned, Chase, which vengeance is mine, said the Lord. A lot of times we feel as if we have to uh, defend ourselves right like Jerusalem or stand our ground or we have to say something or we have to get in this fight somehow here's one thing and notice what uh what david writes here in psalm 37 i want you to notice verse number uh five and six the text says to commit thy way unto the lord to trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass now watch this and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday and so what did God do for David? Eventually, Saul, Saul he, what did Saul say? I was a fool. So yeah. God brought David's righteousness to the light. Sometimes that's going to happen. You know, we may respond to a situation and someone might not like it. But, you know, I heard an older man once tell me this. He said, Jordan, if someone's ever mad at you, if someone uh, just doesn't like you, or if someone just kind of takes their company away from you, he said, let them keep living life. That's your job. Let them keep living life because sometimes something that someone's done to you, we reap what we sow, right? So it may happen or it may not, but he said, let them just keep living life. And so what does God say here? He said, look, if you trust me, your righteousness will be seen. You might not be seen today, but your righteousness will be seen. And that's such a great, a great text that even David said in Psalm 37. But then also, if you look at, uh, First Peter chapter three. Uh, what was what was point number three for you again, Drew? On those attitudes, was it was it a positive impact? Yes. Yes. So you can have a positive impact to that person. I'm reminded of a practical example that Peter uses. He talks about Christian uh, wives that hu their husbands are not Christians. And notice what he says here. He says, "Likewise, verse number one of First Peter three. Likewise, wives be subject." to your husbands so that even if some do not obey the word that they might be won by your conduct. Mm -hmm. And so things can be happy. Like Chase said, you can heap fire of coals on it. You can do the right thing. And by your attitude, you may be able to help someone else, which is such a wonderful thing. But if you notice all of these points that we're bringing out, it's all self-reflection. You have to choose to do these things. You have to choose to behave wisely. You have to choose to take the high road. You have to choose not to fight. You have to choose your your battles. You know, it's not dependent on what someone else does. It's not a, it's not that type of relationship. You have to make the right choice regardless of what happens. And I think that this is that was such a good talk talking about David and Saul. But if we go to point number two here, let's 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 dig a little bit deeper into this relationship or this episode, if you will. So obviously, we we looked at the problems uh, between David and Saul as in general. But specifically, number two, Saul hated David openly, but David never hated Saul privately. I think that's very that's that's a wow. very that's uh, another aspect of him behaving wisely. Because a lot of times, this this is what we do, and I I know we've all seen this too. So let's say we're we're all somewhere, right? So it's me, Chase, and Drew, and we're and we're walking, 
and we see we see Caleb down the street. <laughs> right? So we see Caleb. Oh man, look. What's up, Caleb? Right? We hug him, say, Man, it's so good to see you, Caleb. Shake his hand. First thing he walks away. Pff, Caleb Rutherford. Look at that guy, right? Virtue signaling. Can you believe that guy? Don't don't we do that though? But notice Saul or David had every opportunity to hate Saul privately, just like he did in public. But David never did that. David was consistent. So Chase, we'll start with you talking about David's attitude in private towards someone that hated him openly. Well, what you just described um, is backbiting. The idea of we're going to be friends to each other's faces, but then behind the scenes, we're going to badmouth one another. Yeah, That is sin, and that's a form of gospel. And, and we are to stay far away from that. But I think of David's attitude. And again, he was a man after God's own heart. Well, how does God view us when we have done horrible things to him? Right. By sin. He still loves us, doesn't he? Yeah. And he hates sinners in the sense that, you know, they're in, the, in the King James, it says he hates sinners. What does he mean by that? He's not saying he hates the person. Right. He, he is hating the sinful lifestyle. That's what that means. So, yes, God hates the sinful lifestyle, but he wants the sinner to repent, and he is long-suffering towards us and merciful and patient with us, and we need to bear with one another too. That's right. I think of 6, verses 1 and 2. We are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's verse 2. Verse 1 talks about if any man has a fault, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And we're to be careful and, and watch out for ourselves, lest we also be overtaken in the same fault. There are going to be times when our brethren are overtaken in a fault. Yep. There are going to be times when we're overtaken in a fault. We need to build one another up. We need to be there to pick one another up and help each other. And sometimes that's not going to be easy because the particular fault that is in reference is they did something wrong to us. Mm -hmm. And there's this broken relationship that has to be mended. Now, is that natural? No, most people do not want to mend fences. They want to maintain it. Once, once the fence goes up, we want to maintain that barrier as long as possible because we're mad at each other. And it's, it's, it's not natural to do the opposite of that, which is to, okay, Let's work this out. Let's make it right. And so I think we need to go to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, which shows us the, the way that we reclaim an erring brother or sister, uh, conversely. So Matthew 8, verses uh, 15 through 20. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Notice Jesus did not say, if your brother trespasses against you, just mumble under your, under your breath, get mad at him, hate his guts, and then when you see him on the street, say, oh, hey, how you doing? No, he says, go and tell that brother or sister, conversely, the problem that you have with them, the fault, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear Take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. We want to make sure that the truth is established. We want to make sure there's not any uh, misconceptions. Well, this is my perceived uh, reality of, of how you've treated me, but actually it is uh, 
not what I thought. So those two or three witnesses can kind of help that situation. Oh, we just had a misunderstanding. Great. Or they can establish, hey, that guy really is being a jerk. (laughs) And he needs to repent of that. So uh, take two or three witnesses. And then uh, if he refuses to hear them, then you got to tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a pagan or a tax collector. And tax collectors were not well thought of in those days. And they're still not very well thought of because nobody (laughs) likes paying taxes. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done in them or for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That last verse, verse 20, usually we use that to talk about worship services. That's the incorrect application there. This is in the context of restoring broken relationships because we have had faults with one another. And we want to mend those relationships. And how do we do it? We go to them individually. If that doesn't work, we take two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, we take it before the church. If that doesn't work, we practice church discipline. That's right. And I'll pass it up to you, Drew. Well yeah, that's well said, Chase. Great example going to the Lord right there. I have uh, two thoughts come to mind uh, as we think about this idea of, I, I like the way you worded that, you know, Saul hated him publicly, but privately, what did David do? It wouldn't have been the same if he would have gone back and said, oh, I hate Saul. I, I can't stand him. But then publicly to do that, it would have been different because the yeah. Lord sees every bit of that. That's right. Uh, First Samuel 26, this is the second time that David spared Saul's life. You have this time. You have some of David's uh, people. You have uh, Abner, the commander of the army. You've got Abishai. You've got uh, some other individuals mentioned. And Abishai, verse eight, said to David, "God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with a spear, right to the earth. I will not have to strike him a second time." So now he's got some peer pressure. It's like, look, he's he's tried to kill you, David. You missed your first opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. But look at David taking the high road, verse 9. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed have been guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. In other words, like we've already said, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Let the Lord take care of it. So there's no sense in us going behind somebody's back or, or being whatever. Let's pray for him. Let's, right. you know, let's pray that you know, God's will be done and leave it at that. You know, the wicked, you mentioned Psalm 37, fret not because of evildoers. Why? Lord's going to take care of it. Uh, if not in the immediate time, well, the day of judgment will be taken care of. You know, evil's going to cease that day. We ain't going to have to deal with it. That's right. Another thought that comes to mind, and you brought this up in First Peter chapter 3. I love that text. It's one of my favorite texts uh, because of the phrase, the hidden person of the heart. Mm. Uh, you know, Peter would often talk about corruptible and incorruptible. For example, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, you're not redeemed with corruptible things. You're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. He talks about we are not born of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. So he picks up on that, that contrast. Well, that's what you have in 1 Peter 3. Don't adorn yourselves with this outward appearance. In other words, what you look like publicly. Hmm. Don't adorn yourselves with all these things, but let it be the hidden person of the heart when nobody else is watching. Like you said, when you're in private. Because it says, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. 
it's very precious in the sight of God to see someone that's genuine, genuine, and they're real, and and we're not two faced. We're not somebody else in public. You know, in private, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. I want I want the good, the best to happen for you, and that's the same way I'm with you publicly. And that's what David practiced with Saul. He didn't flip a switch. He was like this all the time. He genuinely cared for Saul. And you open up to, you know, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, you have the death of Saul and Jonathan. David mourned that. David was That's so right. upset. Uh, you know, in, in our world, we might look at that and say, well, good, he got what was coming to him. That wasn't David's mentality. So privately, who we are privately, it's going to come out one way or the, one way or the other. We're going to be able to hide it. Uh, right. So those two thoughts came to mind. Yeah, this, this brings up a conversation I had with a brother uh, on the phone a while ago, and he said, how do you, well, specifically now I'm, I'm able to work uh, with my dad as the associate minister here, but he said, how do you help people who don't like you? How do you help people who don't listen to the word? Like, how do you just keep going on every day? And simply I said, well, because that's what Jesus did. That's all he did. Because remember in Hebrews chapter 12, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. So guess what? that's what we're called to do. So what if people don't like the word? I'm still going to help you. What if people don't like this? If they're in the hospital, guess who's going to be the first one there? Us. Yeah. That That's just what we do. And not just preachers, but Christians in general. That's what we all should do. Because not, right. not because I want to show that I'm the bigger man or show that I'm this or show that I was right. It's because we have a pattern that was set for us. Because that's how, what the Hebrews writer said. We have a pattern. And that pattern is Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. Right. But specifically, when you mentioned... Um, praying for them think about how have you ever tried and i've tried this once and it is it is honestly it's difficult have you ever prayed for your enemies but not just say well lord please be with them or lord please Mm -hmm. be with but by name you know it's easy to pray for drew by name please be with drew please be with chase please be with whoever but we know who um i guess we may be at odds with or whatever it is or, or our enemies have you prayed for them specifically by name? Then that's when it gets real to pray for. And what did Jesus say? Pray for them. So just as I will pray for you, I'm going to pray for them too. And so uh, Chase, you had something. I saw your, your hand up there. Yeah. Well, let me piggyback off of what you just said real quick. And then I'll go to that. Um, let's get to politics for a minute because, you know, we've got to bring that in because it's an election year. <laughs> um, Paul told us to pray for the, the higher powers, didn't he? Yes, that's right. And how easy is it to pray for a president, you know, whether it's this one you like or whether it's the last one you liked or the one before that, how easy is it to pray to pray for one you don't like? Mm-hmm. It's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Yeah. But we still have the obligation to do that. And so just, just as we have that obligation to do that, we also should pray for just our everyday enemies as well. That's right. But I wanted to talk, about um, as far as attitudes, what better place to go than the Beatitudes? Matthew chapter 5. And I want to start in verses 10 and 11 and then kind of work back to a couple other ones that are really, I think, good for us to consider for this topic. Verses 10 and 11 of Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Notice it didn't say blessed are those who are persecuted for any reason. Right, it said, not personal blessed stuff. <laughs> Right. Persecuted for righteousness sake. That's right. And then it says, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's if, if somebody's backbiting you, you're still blessed because you're doing the right thing, even when they're mistreating you. So that's one uh, couple of couplet of verses from uh, the Beatitudes that will really help us with this. But then I also want to look at verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We are called to be peacemakers. And if we're at odds with our brother, what did Jesus say at one point? He said, leave your gift at the altar and go and reconcile with your brother and then come back and make your gift. In other words, don't even come to worship if you are at odds with your brother. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. We have the obligation and the responsibility to make it right when we're at odds with our brethren, or maybe not even brethren, maybe just somebody out in the community, an enemy. We need to try to make it right with them, and we have to be the bigger person. We have to be peacemakers, not one that is further chaos. And then finally, in verse 7, this is another good one for this topic, I think. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. What's the converse of that? Condemned would be the unmerciful, and they will not obtain mercy. That's right. We have to be merciful. If we're not willing to forgive other people, God will not forgive us. That's right. Man, this is such good discussion. And I hope that you listeners are understanding that we're talking about an attitude that must be developed. You know, this is something that's, like, like Chase said, it's, it's something that's not natural. But it's an attitude that if you walk this Christian walk, you need to work on this. And it's, it's a tough thing to do. And, it's a, and I've, I've realized myself, there were times I didn't behave wisely. There's times where I could have done better to people in the community and to brethren. But the thing is, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and self-examine yourself and say, okay, let me get this right. Let me get better. Let me do better. Let me have a better attitude, right? There's more things that we can do to help increase our attitudes to serve the Lord, right? And so if we jump to number three here, you know, we talked about David and Saul. And then number two, we talked about how Saul hated David openly, but David never hated Saul privately. We kind of digged a little bit deeper there. But then number three, I want to bring up another example. Think about Job and his three friends for a minute, right? You know, obviously we all know that Job lost everything within a millisecond, just, just like that, right? Lost everything. But I want you to notice um, what his friends were actually saying to him. Y'all remember um, Brother Cates when he taught that class, when he taught Job at the school, and he brought that giant notebook, and it said a few minutes with Job? I never forgot that. I never forgot just the impact um, of of that book. But if you notice, look at Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. We're just going to look at – they say a lot of things throughout the text. Mm -hmm. But I want to notice one that each friend said, and we're going to notice kind of the things that – that they were trying to bring out to Job here. So if you look at Job chapter eight, and we'll start with Bildad, Job chapter eight. And if you look at verse six, notice what Bildad here says to Job. Job chapter eight and look at verse six. The Bible says, if you were pure and if you were upright, surely now he talking about the Lord, he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. So essentially, what is Bildad saying? He's implying that Job, yeah, exactly. He's implying that Job's not righteous. He said, if you were righteous, then the Lord would help you. So apparently, 
all this stuff is happening. So what is Bildad telling, telling Job? In some way, shape, or form, you're not righteous. Your fault. It's, it's your fault. Then if you look at Eliphaz, look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 7. Now, Eliphaz says this to Job. He mentions this. <laughs> he says, remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent? Or when were the righteous ever cut off? So what's, what's Eliphaz implying? Since you've been since you've been cut off, you must have done something wrong. Obviously. Again, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Then number three, look at Zophar. Look at chapter eleven of Job, verse four and five. Then this is his speech. He says, "For Job, for you said, your doctrine is pure and you're clean in the Lord's eyes. But oh, if God could speak and open up his lips again, can you imagine your three friends saying this?" Now, I want you to think about this. We all look at Job and the book of Job as a physically imposing book. Yeah. But if I think of Job, it really affected his mental health. Think about Job. You know you're not wrong. And even he mentions in the text, Lord, you know I'm not. You, you know I'm righteous. Then your three mm -hmm. friends and everyone else is telling you you're wrong. Here's an attitude that we need to have when we deal with difficult situations and people. Sometimes when you do the right things, people will still tell you you're wrong. But what do you have to do? You got to keep going. You have to keep standing that ground. And notice, and you mentioned this, Chase, and I think this is the overlapping book of the book of Job. It's mercy. You mentioned Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. The text says, blessed are the merciful for what shall they receive. They're going to receive mercy, right? So look at Job chapter 42. So mind you, all the things that we just read about Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, and watch Job chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when Job did what? When he prayed for his friends. Now let's, let's, let's use our minds for a second. If everything in the book of Job happened the exact same way, but Job didn't have the heart to pray for his friends in verse 10 would God have turned his captivity? Not according to Matthew chapter five, because blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain it. So what was the lesson that God was trying to get Job to understand? Mercy. So Job was a type of Christ, right? Just, just as David was. I think this, this is just such a beautiful text. Drew, I'll pass it on to you. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, we all have brother Cates appreciate him so much and, and, his ability and willingness to teach us in depth the way he did with Job. Yes, sir. Uh, and I know one thing that jumped out to me was, you know, Brother Case would always say names matter. Looking at the names of his friends. Well, Bildad's name means sons, son of contention. <laughs> well, that's exactly what he did. Yes. You know, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Well, Bildad's son of contention. Uh, I had this from my notes. Brother Case said that Bildad was the first one to pick out the problem, but the last one to help fix it. Hmm. And don't we deal with people like that all the time? Um, yeah, I won't get into that anymore, but we all know what that's like as preachers. Um, Bildad is, is echoing the rebuke of Eliphaz just stronger. And you mentioned that. How would you feel knowing all this happened, knowing that you're innocent? You haven't done anything wrong, and yet one friend, so-called friend, after another, Job, look, you, you, you say you're something. right, but, you know, obviously you've done something wrong. Just tell us, you know. Yeah. Get it off your chest, it'll be all right. And Job having to defend himself this whole time must have been, like you said, mentally exhausting. Yeah. 
you know, maybe trying to go back in his mind thinking, I wonder if there's something that I did. Is what there, did I do wrong? Yeah. Is there a time where I, you know, offered this sacrifice wrong or, or what did I do? But he, he knew that he maintained his innocence. He maintained his integrity. The text says over and over again. Uh, you think about Eliphaz, he's one that he couldn't help but say something. Uh, you know, and we know people like that too. You just can't help it. You just got to say something. Your shirt collar's up. They're just chopping at the bit to let you know. Uh, Eliphaz was one who flattered Job. And flattery is defined as insincere praise. Hmm. And we got to deal with that a lot. Yes, um, Eliphaz also argued from ignorance. And again, we've got a lot of that going on today as well. Uh, Zophar was one who had a lot of assumptions and he was full of opinions. Once again, we deal with people who are full of opinions. Uh, and Zophar was kind of biding his time, you know, he's just waiting for everybody else to get done. It's like, okay, I can't wait to tear into Job and let him know what he did wrong. Uh, it's kind of like somebody listening to your sermon and they look at you smiling because they know when you get done, they're going to come up and say, you missed this point. You missed that verse. You misquoted that. That's right. That's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Job had to really deal with stuff, you know, and losing all of his children, losing, you know, all of his livestock, his money, his wife turned against him. He's got physical problems. And on top of that, he's dealing with this. And so I'm not trying to make that comparison, just saying that, you know, we deal with difficult people too. It wasn't to the same magnitude as Job. Uh, but all the things that you've been saying about, you know, Job, for him to still be able to pray for them, What's that remind you of? Reminds you of Jesus, doesn't yes, it? Yes, sir. Jesus on the cross, you know, I, I think about this, the, the word then. We don't emphasize that word enough. It's the word then, and it's Luke uh, 23, 34. I want to give that text to our listeners. Luke 23, 34 says, Then he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I, I circle that word then because you have to look at everything that happened before that for him to say, Father, forgive them. This was after he was beaten, mm -hmm. after he's wrongly accused, after he is, you know, one in his inner circle betrays him. You know, this is after he hears the people he's about to die for say, crucify him, crucify him. Then he said, Father, forgive them. So like you said, with Job being a type of Christ, I think that comes out to the forefront right there. Yep. So all these friends, you know, talking to him. And again, we can make the application today very, very easily because oh, – yeah. <laughs> Thousands of years ago, this took place. There's people just like Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu in the Lord's church, sadly, uh, in our communities, in our families that we have to deal with. We can learn from Job. Let, let's take the higher route and, and let's pray for him like Job did. Yes, sir. Chase, I'll pass it on to you. With friends like Job's, who needs enemies, right? <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> yeah. you go. I appreciate everything you just said, Drew. That was excellent. Especially, I like how you, you brought out the, the names and their meanings. Um, I really don't like those guys. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> That's been tough to do. imagine, though? I mean, because we've, I mean, we've all seen as preachers when we, you know, obviously we're not exalting ourselves other, over other Christians, so just putting it out there. But at the same time, yeah. there's certain things that we see that the normal member doesn't see. And so can you imagine just going through that and then having everyone say, oh, you're wrong, though. <laughs> wait, wait, wait right. a second. But this is, I mean, but this is like times 10, you know, and to have exactly. him still pray for his friends. I mean, it's just yeah, it's, incredible. It's, powerful. it's incredible. It's amazing. Well, Jordan, what you said a while ago, uh, I really like. You said it was an imposing book, and that is true. 
Job is a very difficult book in my estimation. So I'm just going to plug uh, something real good, real, real quick. And that's for a uh, Jameson Stewart. Yes. He yeah. Really good, uh, Jameson. In his podcast, asking God why. So those who may have never heard of that, check it out. Yeah. But um, what I was going to say is, yes, this is a very difficult and imposing book, but at the same time, it's so relatable. Yeah. Now yes, we cannot is. relate on the same level as Job because we have not had anything like what happened to Job happened to us. Right. But we still have bad stuff happen to us, everybody. And there's a reason this book is in there. It shows us, hey, if Job can make it through that and still be righteous, then so can we. That's right. And I think about these, maybe I shouldn't use this word again, but I'm going to do it. These jerks, <laughs> Eliphaz and, and Bill Hanna. Really feel. Yeah, like really feel. Hey, I'm being real with you, right? <laughs> when Chase becomes real. <laughs> Nice. That's what you did there. But, um, this is why he's on, ladies and gentlemen. These dudes were awful. <laughs> like, come on. Can you give him a break, please? Do you see right. what he's been through? And all you want to do is point fingers at him and lay all the blame squarely on him. But, um, you know, even all these things that they're saying about him, they're accusing him of evil. They're saying these bad things, these consequences have happened because of his sins. And we know that's not the case because Job 1 verse 1 says that Job was, uh, was righteous. He was blameless, upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Mm. And that is a, a lesson for us today too. Not only did Job not participate in evil, he shunned evil. And I can think of times in my life where I've seen evil going on and I didn't go participate in it, but I just kind of sat there and watched it. And I didn't speak out against it. And I'm sure y'all can think of times like that as well. We are supposed to shun evil. Everything we stand for is to be against evil, whether it's what people are doing around us. And I'm not saying we go and browbeat them, but we, you know, we chime in and we say, look, guys, can y'all tone that down? I, I'm a Christian. You know, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, our entertainment choices on TV, the Internet, what have you. Um, people that we hang around, you know, evil communications, companionships, corrupt good morals. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, the American Standard Version. We need to understand that Job, in spite of how these friends, quote unquote, mm -hmm. were treating him, he still was righteous. And there's, at one, there's one point that I want to look at in Job chapter 16. Job 16. Yes, he... He was still righteous, and he had to take this jump. But at one point, at least in this chapter, he does kind of stick up for himself a little bit. Job 16, verse 2, essentially he says, I've had enough. Okay, what does he say? All of you are miserable comforters. <laughs> are y'all trying to comfort me? Because you're doing a horrible job. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying there. And then um, Job 16, verses 1 through 5, I just want to read, read through that, that contact context. Job is basically saying that he could act like them, but he's choosing the higher road. Yeah. Job 16, verses 1 through 5. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? Why? Like, can y'all just be quiet, please? <laughs> I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, if I were in your shoes... 
I could act like you're acting right now. Mm. I could heap words against you and shake my head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Mm. So he's showing them, look, this is what I would do for y'all. Y'all should do that for me. Right, Man. That, right. And that, that brought up, and like, like you mentioned, you as being a type of Christ. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane said the disciples all forsook him and fled. Yep. You know, so the, the being a type of Christ was still being willing to suffer just as Job suffered. Man, that's, it's an incredible thing. But to mention really quick, um, going back to Matthew chapter five, David, um, Job, Christ, all these other um, people we can bring up in scripture, they were all peacemakers. Sure. And sometimes when it comes to, and again, we're not talking about doctrine, you know, when things are wrong, doctrinally, it needs to be aligned. It needs to be fixed. But when we're talking about personal stuff, right, just things just to keep the peace, sometimes, uh, you know, you kind of have to uh, essentially kind of take one on the chin to keep the peace on, on personal stuff sometimes. You guys remember uh, Garrett only? I think, was he in your class? Mm-hmm. He was in our class, yeah. Yeah, so there was a time where there was a member that was, uh, I was angry at me for something I didn't do. I mean, I wasn't even involved, right? So, but I got all the blame for it, right? And I, and I heard about it. And so um, I called Garrett over because he was the, the uh, youth guy under me at the time. Right. And I told him, I said, look, come here for a second. And I said, this is what you're going to have to do sometimes. He said, whether it's youth ministry, whether it's pulpit, whether it's no matter what it is, sometimes you need to do things in order to keep the peace. So I know I'm right in this situation, but watch this. So we called, we called her, I put her on speaker, called her. I apologize that I want to work. I want to work and continue to, to uh, be an encouragement, you know, to you. And so basically apologize to her. And so after that, then she was like, Oh, you know, I appreciate whatever. But I said, Garrett, sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to do things in order to keep the peace on personal matters because there's bigger fish. We got to fry than, than get mad about the carpet or get mad about that. This decoration is not up or get mad about that. This is not at the potluck or get mad at, you know what I'm saying? Over and over and over, just little things like that. But when we're talking about being peacemakers, it's seeing opportunities to find ways to keep moving on towards the bigger goal. The bigger goal is to teach other people. And why would someone else want to be a part of us if we argue about the color of the carpet? Or if we argue about, well, we accept these people, but not these people. You know, there's things that we just don't need to argue over and be peacemakers and be merciful. Right. And that's just such an important text in Matthew chapter five. You guys have any other uh, closing remarks before we get ready to end this podcast for today? <laughs> yeah, I've got um, four quick ones here. I, I, I try to take a lesson from each of his friends. So with Eliphaz, watch out for flattery. The ones that get close to you sometimes don't have your best interests at heart. Uh, sometimes you'll have some that will try to build you up, talk you up, and they're the ones that are – I have a different agenda. So be careful with flattery. Again, that's insincere praise. A second lesson from Bildad, tradition is only good when it's consistent with the word of God, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. A lot of brethren sometimes will harp on that tradition so much so that, you know, it's, oh, that's not in the Bible. Well, it's tradition. Don't get caught up on that stuff. You know, stick to the word and let that be your guide. Uh, From so far, everyone has an opinion. Let them have it. Let them have it. You know, we have our opinions too. We have little things that we do. So just just let them have their opinion. 
They're entitled to that. Let, let them have it. The fourth one is maintain your integrity and character. Don't stoop down. You know, Job had to listen to Elihu. We got five chapters, 32 through 37, of Elihu speaking. Job, just, just let, him, let him talk. Don't stoop down to someone else's level. We can learn that from Job. You, you take the high road. That's right. That's, man, that's so good. And that goes back to Romans 14. Oh, yeah. Right, with the whole scruple chapters, right? Yep. Look, yeah, I know it's I know it's right that we can eat everything, but if your brother doesn't like this, just don't do it. Yeah. If you don't do it, just don't it's, do it. It's that simple. Just keep the peace, right? Chase, you have any other closing things before we end today? Yeah, um, one more thing I was going to say uh, back to chapter 16 of Job. If you read the rest of that chapter, basically what Job says is that God allowed these ungodly people to do terrible things to him, just as he allowed Satan to do terrible things to Job. Why? Was Job blaming God in that chapter? No, he was not. He was acknowledging that because, and in fact, uh, back to Job 1 verse 22, it says that Job did not sin and he did not blame God foolishly. So we know he's not blaming God. So what is he saying then? He's realizing and acknowledging that because of, of free will, in the natural course of events that God has allowed through, through nature, through natural laws, bad things can happen to people. And bad people can do bad things to people because of their free will. And he's realizing this, and he's, he's saying God in his infinite wisdom has given man free will and has given us an earth with natural forces. And as a consequence of that, sometimes bad things do happen to, to people. But who are we going to blame when bad things happen? Because God created everything good, Genesis 1. And at the end of that chapter, he says it was very good. It wasn't until chapter 3, Satan comes along and it's ruined. Right. It's not until chapter 3 that sin comes along and it's ruined. So we don't need to blame God when bad things happen to us. We don't need to blame God when people are giving us a hard time. And we, woe is me, you know what, I'm just sick of this. I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. No, <laughs> we don't church. blame Right. We don't right. blame God. We don't quit the church. We keep on trucking. And we realize that if we're going to blame somebody, we're going to blame Satan. Yes, sir. And really, we, need, we also need to even blame ourselves because we all have sinned and yeah. fallen short of the glory of God. And sin is the big problem. That's right. That's right. And, and to piggyback off that real quick, I'm reminded of uh, Luke 13.3. Remember, he says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That text, notice if you go to Luke 13, after he mentions that in verse 3, then he gives an example in chapter 4 or in verse 4. Yeah. He says, so what about those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them? So were those 18 sinners over everyone else? Right. He said, no, it just happened. The, t the tower fell. Right. So said, but like you mentioned, Chase, you know, the God of this world, the little G, right, according to Second Corinthians, he has blinded the minds of those here. And so we know that bad things are going to happen. So since we know that, what do we do? Except you repent. You shall all likewise perish. So this is an opportunity for all of us to continue to get our lives right. And so and just as yeah, go, go, ahead. go ahead. And just as belief is sometimes used as a metonymy for the entire uh, process of conversion, I think in, in Luke 13, 3, repent is is being used to describe the entire process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was convert. Yeah. That's right. 
So, I mean, just like we're talking about today, the main thing that we can repent of is if we've been difficult, if we haven't acted wisely, if we haven't prayed for our enemies. I know there's one thing that I want to do more. And uh, I have a board in my office, like a, like a whiteboard. And what I want to do is I want to put a list of people by name that I want to pray for and start every day with that. Whether it's yeah. those that are hurting, whether it's those that are going through things, whether those that have lost loved ones, or maybe not even put it on the board, but maybe for enemies as well. Pray for yeah. them specifically. For pray sure. for so many things because I appreciated what you did last week, Drew, what you put on Facebook. Um, who would join me in praying for our country right now? Mm-hmm. You know, something, I think things aren't changing because we're not doing our job. Yeah. We're not praying. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine if more Christians would pray specifically, whether they agree with something or didn't agree with it, whether exactly. we, and if we pray, you know, the prayers of the righteous avails much. Mm-hmm. So let's actually use that, that power that the Lord's given us. And maybe we'll start seeing some change here. Absolutely. And so there's so many things that we all can do better, but I hope that you all enjoyed listening uh, to the podcast. Today. I'm so glad that Drew's been on, uh, Chase has been on. So it's, it's been a while. It took a little bit, but we, we got everybody. <laughs> so I'm thankful that uh, they were on with us. Again, if you have any questions, uh, you can contact me through uh, my Facebook page. Uh, it's Jordan Pugh, so everything is there. And then also on my Instagram page uh, as well. Uh, Drew or Chase, do you guys have any social media that uh, others and listeners can contact you with if they have questions? Yes, I, I failed to mention earlier that I do have a podcast entitled Weather in the Storm. Uh, Jordan, you and, and Chase, both of you have been on uh, that show. We're in season two of that. You can find it wherever you find your podcast. We're trying to, to really get it out there. Uh, but you can also visit our Facebook page, the Equipment Church of Christ, uh, as well as the equipmentchurchofchrist.com. Our website, we have sermons uploaded. We have different links. You can uh, subscribe to our YouTube page. We have different sermons. So we certainly invite them to do that. Uh, and Jordan, if, if I will, if, if you don't mind, just a moment. I, I wanted to close out a thought from, from Jesus, because you mentioned that, that personal application what you want to do better. If we want to get real personal about it, we were the enemies of Jesus. Yes, sir. Romans 5, 6 through 11. We were, we were the ungodly. Christ died for us. And so I just had two verses I want to read very quickly. I'll turn it over to Chase. Ephesians four thirty two: Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then Luke six thirty five: Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. So we can put into practice the words of our Lord. Yes, sir. And Chase, uh, we love your information that uh, our listeners could go to if they have any questions. Uh, Yeah, excuse me. You can find me on Facebook. Um, I have my own personal page, and then I also have the Everyday Christian podcast page. Again, uh, there's a couple of podcasts called Everyday Christian or something similar. Mine is the one uh, has a little microphone and then like uh, green lettering and it has my name on it. So uh, you can find that in the iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Podbean. uh, If you have that app, that's the the app that I run my podcast on. And then also the Marietta Church of Christ in Oklahoma is where I work. Again, Marietta, Oklahoma, not Georgia, which is what most people (laughs) automatically assume. Uh, one R and two T's. So you can go to Marietta church of org, or you can go to Marietta, Oklahoma uh, church of Christ Facebook page. And you can find uh, my sermon videos there. We just installed a, a brand new uh, live feed yesterday. 
So looking forward to getting, use that and um, for sermons and Bible classes, uh, everything. And, and uh, just appreciate you for allowing me to be on the podcast today. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys being on Uh, again. uh, One more thing I want to mention is if anyone is interested in learning more of the scripture, I know we mentioned the the school of preaching, uh, the Memphis school of preaching, which is a great Avenue, but we're also offering classes at the St. Louis school of biblical studies here um, in St. Louis. Um, You can attend if you're in the area, you can attend in person, but you can also attend the classes online as well. So if you uh, go to www.stl.com, uh, SBSOP at uh, COC.org. I'm sorry, STLSBSOP.org. Um, you'll find the information there. Uh, you'll find classes. I'll be teaching Hebrew history, and I think Dad is teaching miracles and parables this, this semester. So, again, I'll link the website to um, the Facebook page. I'll link Drew's podcast. I'll link Chase's podcast and information. So, everything will be on my page. You can share that. You can visit everything. Definitely uh, look at Drew's stuff. Great stuff there. And also what the congregation doing there is great. And then Chase's stuff is great as well. So uh, just find ways to be encouraged to grow and to strengthen your faith. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week if the Lord will. And we'll have another podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.